I love that you can move them easily. They make my workspaces much more flexible. I like how quiet they are. I can sit inside and feel all calm, but still feel part of what's going on around me. I like what they cost. They're talking about Nook, the award-winning wellness-certified family of pods, booths, and shelters which make a workplace more flexible and more inclusive. Go to nookpod.com to find out more. Welcome back to the Work Bowl podcast, where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions, space as a service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, fund manager, developer, property manager, agent or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and this is episode 10 of season six, sponsored by TSK. Yes, the season finale. And what a season we've had with a focus on company culture, infinite mindsets, and the evolution to workplace choice. But if demand is evolving for office real estate, should those of us selling offices change how we communicate? If the traditional benefits of an office are now outdated, do we risk selling a horse and buggy when our customers want a car? And if office is just one tool in the platform of work, how can we evolve it to become one of the most dynamic tools people can have in their toolbox to choose from on any given day? In this final episode of our Plus Not Versus season, I'm joined by Esme Banks-Marr from BVN to discuss these questions, and she has some compelling data from Leesman to share on how people view the office. Esme shares what the workplace now needs to offer people, trends she's seeing developers plan for new projects, and how commercial real estate can evolve our sales pitch going forward. As always, if you have any questions or feedback or topics you want covered, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker or DM me on LinkedIn. I hope to see you in Cannes at MIPM next month at our Work Bold Podcast mobile studio where we'll be recording season seven. And if you know a landlord, asset manager, or office investor with an eye on space as a service, I'd love an intro to join me for an episode for our MIPM mini-series. Big thank you to our headline sponsor for season six, TSK. Hopefully by now you've clicked over to learn why I love how they're supporting the new ways of working. But just in case, here's another reminder for you. I gotta give TSK a shout out for a video I just watched on the brand new 71,000 square foot hybrid workplace they've created for insurance, risk, and commercial law firm, BLM. Pre-pandemic, BLM Law were already planning on becoming a paper light organization, but the pandemic sped up their digital strategy. This helped them accelerate processes, become more sustainable, and allow their team to connect and communicate from anywhere. Imagine that. They wanted to adopt a more flexible approach to work and their workplace. Enter TSK. When you're bringing several sites together, multiple sites together, there's always a risk that, you know, some may feel inclusive, some may feel excluded. But I think what we created was somewhere that they all felt that they could come together and it really did stand out as a BLM home for them. And I think it was really important that we gave them the right settings and the right tools to enable them to encourage that kind of transition that they were going through. The biggest impact for me and the team I think is the whole range of different spaces there are to work, different places to work depending on what it is we're trying to do at the time. I think that's really strong, really powerful and something we simply haven't had before. I highly recommend you watch this video. It shows how TSK helped BLM move away from their traditional style offices and create a more agile and collaborative environment for their 600 plus Manchester, England based team. The video is on the TSK website and we put a link to it in the show notes below. Over to you, Jeff. Let's kick it. Welcome back to the Work Bowl podcast. 
I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and today I'm joined by Esme Banks-Marr, Strategy Director at award-winning Australian architectural firm BVN. Esme is a critical thinker whose expertise lies in interpreting multi-layered evidence when it comes to workplace performance, employee experience, design, and wider business intelligence. She joined BVN last year as Strategy Director of Work in Place to support their growth in Europe. Starting her career in communication, specializing in the built environment, Esme supported service providers on their brand within the wider workplace ecosystem. This gave her insight into the entire workplace change life cycle and a multitude of disciplines. Her main interests are in how data can inform design and how communication plays a role in workplace change. Very important considering the change that's happening today. Esme keeps herself at the forefront of the global workplace discussion and has been a regular commentator on the future of work, both writing and presenting. She ran the communications for Global Employee Workplace Experience Assessor, Leesman, which we'll hear more about in a little bit. She did that for several years before moving in-house to support content and client-side projects. She's a board member of the Emerging Workplace Leaders Group in London and has collaborated with a number of industry publications, the Work Tech Academy, and World Economic Forum. Welcome to the Work Bold Podcast, Esme. Thank you, Caleb. It's great to be here. Well, thank you for joining me virtually. Even though we're in the same city, this is the nature of the times. Esme, you have an impressive resume and clearly a unique perspective on the change that's happening in the workplace and its effect on demand for office real estate. And I want to come on to your BVN role in a moment. But first, I want to set the stage for this conversation by discussing Leesman. And for those listening who may not know, what is Leesman? So um, a little bit like you said in your introduction, Caleb, Leesman is the world's leading independent assessor of workplace experience. And they got this status by measuring the experience of close to a million employees in their places of work. So that was workplaces. And since the onset of the pandemic, more than quarter of a million employees now in their home working environments. And again, like you alluded to, Caleb, I do no longer work at Leesman, but I've spent a great deal of time working alongside those guys for a number of years in various different guises. But yeah, I'm sure someone at Leesman would love to also discuss things in even more depth with you and what they're up to at the moment. I'm a little bit further down the client journey now with BBN, translating all of this kind of insight into design. Well, that's important. And I do want to come on to that, but I do want to, and, and certainly would welcome Leesman to have a conversation on the podcast in the near future. But considering the time you spent there, you have a lot of insight into office customer preferences. And there's a lot that we can glean from that data, including some conflicting bits of data. So I'm curious, what do people want from the office today? Okay, so before I just launch into that, to set the scene even more that's going to help me tell this story, I guess, Leesman's assessment uncovers a number of different things. Firstly, it's what employees do in their roles. Second, the activities that are important to them in those roles and how well each of those activities is supported. But it also looks at the physical and service features that are most important to that employee experience. The collective data is then aggregated into a database and it's mined for research purposes and it's all open source. So you may have seen some of it somewhere already, but that also allows for a global benchmark. And I think what's super interesting at the moment for Leesman or about Leesman is that you can compare and benchmark the home data to the office data on a lot of their different lines of inquiry, not necessarily all of them, but a lot of them and see both at a general and I guess a business level, if you have your own Leesman data, where one outperforms the other and the things that people have kind of suffered with the most at home. They've got an interesting subset of data now as well that relates to return to office preferences, which people seem to be pretty interested in at the moment. So bearing in mind the idea that averages do mask highs and lows, and 
numbers and data are hugely important to understanding and being able to delve that bit deeper into what's going on. And obviously the fact that I feel like we've all become pretty obsessed or fixated on numbers recently. Here's a statement for you. The average home supports the average employee better than the average office. The average home supports the average employee better than the average office. So there's a 20 percentage point difference when it comes to an employee feeling productive in those respective spaces. Productivity measures is probably something we don't have time to get onto today, I'm guessing, Caleb. Um, but the perception of productivity does account for something. And while there is no kind of universal measure for knowledge work, I think that is really important. So, yeah, there's a 20 percentage point difference to employees agreeing that the space they work from enables them to work productively and the home is outperforming the office. Now, that is for the average employee, like I said, but that's pretty crazy when you think about it. And it's kind of a bit of a slap in the face, I guess, for offices. We did all know the figure before the pandemic and that it wasn't looking good for offices in terms of them being super fit for purpose. But it took this comparison, I guess, with home environments to really, well, drive it home. And I know, Caleb, we both saw the same bit of uh, research that came out a little while ago from YouGov that released a similar figure of 71% of employees actually prefer working from home. Although that piece did also say that 39% said they wanted to work from home forever, but it didn't necessarily state whether this also meant and not ever in an office. But I guess the curious thing to me here with these headline stats are how did this happen? We do need to take into account the fact that we've homework during a pandemic, but I guess perhaps it's because, I don't know, technology has got better at a personal level over the last decade, or because maybe the spaces that we were in were built or designed too much to last and too much to kind of stand the test of time with no flexibility or not enough, should I say, flexibility built in. So organizations themselves were kind of changing and moving forward and the spaces around them couldn't. I'm not really sure. And also, I guess, I'm not really sure it matters. It's out there. That statement is fact. Yes, it is averages, but it is fact. And I think like many others think, it's a huge opportunity to shake things up. As you say, it doesn't matter. What matters is the sentiment that people have today and what people want today. I think it, you know, we can do stats all day long, but, you know, anecdotally, statistically, surveys, it's clear that seemingly there's a power shift from employers to employees. Dror Poleg writes a lot of articles around, you know, how once a few companies start empowering people with flexibility, then all the other companies eventually have to do it from a competitive, you know, more for talent perspective. So I guess just circling back to my original question, you know, what do people want from the office today? If the average person is happy with working from home, why are they going to come into the office? What do they want? Yeah. Well, they want and they need, importantly, a workplace that's on offer to them to be better than what they have at home, right? I think that's first and foremost what we can say. And by this, I mean they need it to support the things that the other doesn't. Some organizations seem to be pretty fixated at the moment on trying to create offices that tick every single box. But that's almost an impossible task now that we've all had kind of by default, yes, but an across the board taste of this kind of freedom and flexibility. The things that have been lacking the most for employees when working from home relate to things that you would expect, right? Like connection to colleagues and connection to the actual organization itself and the ability to learn from others, which we know is something that often happens, more often than not happens naturally. But this is a bit of a weird thing to say, but it's important not to treat everyone as equal here. Now, that is a weird thing to say, and saying it out loud does sound odd. 
that actually kind of being inclusive in terms of workplace also now means looking at your age groups and understanding the differences. Your organization's makeup is completely different to the makeup of the guys next to you. So this is going to change what people want and what they need as well. So the younger generation, for instance, has suffered the most with working from home. And it's not really difficult to understand why that might be. They've suffered the most with feeling connected. They've suffered the most with the ability to be physically active while home working. And they're the group who are the least likely to have a dedicated workspace at home. So yeah, is your workplace going to support the things that they've lacked at home and what they need now more than ever? I also think employees want more than anything to be taken on the journey or at least have the option to be part of any change that's about to happen or is happening. Even if that is maybe a subconscious wish, that power shift that you mentioned a minute ago, Caleb, between employer and employee is reason alone to do this. So why wouldn't you consult them and observe them to understand how they work and what they lack and then carve a solution that's kind of fitted bespoke to that organization? Surely that's kind of what we all mean when we say hybrid. Well, Esme, that brings up a very interesting point. And I know how important communication is to you. It's been your career. And so considering what we've just discussed, do you think corporate real estate needs to change how we communicate the benefits of the office or maybe not just corporate real estate, but the CEOs, HR, you know, from a work, corporate workplace perspective, should we be approaching this differently? Because we see some CEOs standing up and mandating. We even see the prime minister here in the UK saying, oh, everybody needs to get back to work and we need to stimulate the economy. And you know, I get those things, but should we not have more empathy? How does that communication need to change? Definitely. And I'll get onto it in a minute, but I do think there's a white knight kind of opportunity here. But I think first, I think the media is to blame for putting the office against home. Like how many more headlines can we see like this? I think my rallying cry, if there was one, would be ultimately to do better in that regard. And that is outside of our industry. But let's assume that I guess they won't and these sensationalist kind of clickbait pieces continue and they will. And remember, we're all reporters as well, I guess, in today's day and age. But shouldn't we be brave enough to kind of carve our own paths and not simply go with the status quo because it's the simplest option and it's what we're reading about and what we're seeing? It is obviously a lot less scary to mirror someone else's approach and hang on those kind of sweeping statements and generalizations than it is to go boldly uh-huh, <laughs> at it and experiment until you get it right. I will love that. <laughs> Thank you. But if we're to change for the better, like you said, as an industry, we need to look at this together collectively. So I do sometimes find myself wondering if commercial real estate has an opportunity here to come in and sort of save the day. If they're prepared to talk differently and act differently, it's going to be easier for corporate real estate and now kind of workplace that falls within that to truly kind of change and innovate in the way that they want to without kind of one hand tied behind their backs the whole time, holding them in an era of long leases and unflexible approaches to property. I'm so glad you said that. I've been banging on the past couple of seasons, but particularly this season, about how we in commercial real estate need to be the champions of good company culture. And, you know, the, the way we're talking about office space needs to change because it seems like it's been spoken from a privileged perspective that doesn't quite get why people don't necessarily want to come back into the office. And so it's more about shining light on the benefits of an office, but also recognizing why people don't want to come into an office. Absolutely. And, and with that, that kind of relationship between occupiers, tenants and landlords, even brokers, like people are going to have to do something different. And 
unconventional or maybe not that unconventional but I mean it is really for our industry with their spaces if building occupancy fluctuates as much as we all expect it to and it will so I guess for the industry-wide to kind of get on board with that and get okay with that is going to be super important to what then comes next I don't know Caleb invite a landlord and an occupier on here at the same time do a real-time kind of gap analysis of where their heads are at and, and see what's discussed. But yeah, I definitely think there is an opportunity for um, commercial real estate as an industry to kind of come in here and maybe even be the white knight because I feel like they need to almost act first for other things to ultimately fall into place. That's interesting. I, I like that idea. Thank you for the challenge. Uh, we've had a landlord and an agent on here at the uh -huh. same time. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Who would you recommend? Which occupier and which landlord? I really like Derwin. I like their brand. I like that they take a very collaborative, collective approach to their buildings. And, you know, that's not necessarily unique, but it tends to work or the buildings I've been in of theirs. And occupier wise, I'm just thinking I like to work from White Collar Factory quite a lot. I do actually work in the office group space there. But you've got AH&M in there, Adobe in there. That could be kind of quite an interesting one. It seems to have worked for them, but that's just me kind of looking outside in. So maybe a conversation between Adobe and someone in their corporate real estate or HR and someone from Derwent? Yeah, that would be great. All right. All right. There's a challenge for me. Okay. Well, if you're listening and you're working for Adobe or Derwent, get in touch, <laughs> of course, in the DMs. Well, look, I think that's an interesting comment you make about how we in the industry, we can be the change agents to help the corporate real estate folks, the CEOs start changing the conversation. And I'm going to say plus not versus again, because that is the theme of the season. So we can utilize the office and home, the best of both worlds and give our teams the tools they need. But having said that, and I know in your role at BVM and what you guys do, you're working with a lot of developers and a lot of landlords. So I'm wondering, you know, are there any trends that you can talk about? How do these buildings need to change to accommodate the change that's happening? Yeah, I think I've been actually surprised joining BVN and a lot of their big projects are in Australia and, and New Zealand. But I've been surprised at how many developers are carving space for not necessarily setting it in stone that it needs to be flex space or for co-working, but they are carving spaces in pretty much all of their buildings to do something flexible with it that not one tenant is necessarily going to take. And whether that happens to be kind of part of an activated lobby area or somewhere further up the building, whatever it happens to be, I've been quite surprised to find that completely across the board. I also think, and again, we've probably done a time for it now, but BVN's clients and BVN themselves have such an approach to sustainability that I really just haven't seen on that scale here yet. I'd say in terms of that kind of side of things, they're, they're pretty ahead. Well, the future is flexible. I've been saying that a long time. And, and flexibility is certainly, in my opinion, a, a feature of the overall offering that needs to happen. And I think all, every building should have spaces of service, flexibility being one of those features. But, you know, I just realized I didn't give you an opportunity to talk about BVN much. So I want to say, can you just maybe tell everybody who BVN is? Yeah, so BVN are an architectural practice. They are based in Australia. They have a studio in New York and now one in London. Headquarters is Sydney, but we've also got Brisbane as well. They're technically speaking about 96 years old. So they've been at the forefront of a lot of workplace projects in that part of the world for many years. But I mean, they think far wider than workplace and a lot of their projects are actually in defense and in healthcare, education. So again, one of the things that, and I've only been there a couple of months, but one of the things that I've loved so far 
is that kind of collaboration across teams who look after those different types of projects. And they're all about what is it that we can learn from education spaces? What is it that we can even learn from workplaces that we're creating in the defense sector at the moment, if we're allowed to talk about it? What is it that we can learn from healthcare and some of the sustainable approaches we're taking to designing healthcare spaces? And what can we bring that into kind of commercial office spaces? So yeah, so far, so good. They're a really large organization who have a, a global kind of footprint, but yeah, really exciting work. Well, I know my audience appreciated the addition of having TSK as a headline sponsor this season and, you know, TSK and all the work they do at creating these amazing dynamic workplaces across the UK. But I want to point out that there's no elephant in the room here because we've got a headline sponsor that's building creative spaces. There's a little bit of crossover. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. It's just a different approach to market. So we would just come at things slightly differently and we would be brought into a project at slightly different stages. Thank you for sharing that. I want to move into the quick fire round here. It's one of my favorite parts because I get to find out all these cool people to go get inspired from, which is my first question. Who do you go to for inspiration? So Caleb, I would never turn someone away from the Work Bold podcast. <laughs> Thank However, you. <laughs> The FT um, about five or six months ago launched a podcast called Working It. And it's just interesting to listen to all of this from people outside of the industry. But bearing in mind kind of what I said earlier about reporting in the media, having some answering to do, this is good quality and it tends to ask the right questions. I've been pretty impressed so far. As opposed to kind of thinking they have all the answers, it's been a really interesting one. So the FT, sorry, the Financial Times, it's a relatively new one of theirs. But I also like to delve into some of the old kind of behavioral economics theories. I often revisit people like Daniel Kahneman and Richard Thaler to really get my mind going on how I can apply some of their big theories and ideas to my work and what I'm trying to craft. Well, we'll make sure we add that to the shout out section. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, here's my new favorite question. If you could wave a magic wand to change anything when it comes to our industry right now, what would that be? Okay, that's a big question. It would be, I guess, for everyone to remember that culture or rather good culture does take time to build and become authentic. And I think to be authentic, it truly needs to reflect the people who make up your organization. And I guess just appreciate that this might have shifted the past two years. It's been a really traumatic time. So why wouldn't culture need to be authentic to help us heal from that and move forward? I think a lot of people listening this season have seen that we've gone hard on this culture theme. I strongly believe that we in commercial real estate, as we discussed today, have the chance to lead this conversation and improve the world. And I know it sounds kind of fluffy, but it starts with us. Everything happens within our buildings and now outside of our buildings as well. But that culture is created, is amplified or amplified in a negative way within the walls that we provide. So I think for us, it's for me, it's been important to have this conversation with so many people of the season. And thank you for that answer. I really appreciate it. Now, a light, very light question. The last one. Where's your favorite holiday destination? Oh, great one to end on. Okay, so pretty much any European city. <laughs> so I'm big on kind of a quick refresh and a quick kind of experience of something a tiny bit different, not too far. I quite like those kind of four or five day trips. I get a little crazy sometimes when I've been in the same place for too long, which I guess doesn't tell you, well, probably tells you everything you need to know about my psyche right now. But somewhere like Lyon or Paris, Milan, if you held a gun to my head, Caleb, I'd probably say Paris for my sins. I've never had a bad time there. 
great choice. And I think this is a, one of the reasons I love living in London because you can take those quick escapes and refresh. And then, in theory, yeah. I'm well, sure. in between lockdowns, the past couple of years, I've been to France three times. I've been all over the place. And there you go. I, you, you can do it, though. It's, it's yep. so easy. So, look, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your insights. I'd like everyone to connect with you, you know, because I think you are sharing some good insights. And where would you like people to go? Twitter, LinkedIn, both? Twitter and LinkedIn is great for me. I am at Esme Banks Mar on Twitter. And obviously that is just my name for LinkedIn. And then if you're curious about BBN, Instagram is the best place to find them. So at Architecture BBN. Well, we'll put those links in the show notes for everybody to follow. I'm going to end this by giving a shout out to someone myself. I just want to give a shout out to Alejandro Stevens Legos. He is down in Santiago, Chile, and uh, he's been a fan of the podcast. We've been connecting on LinkedIn. He's become such a student of our industry and culture and the impacts that we have. So I just wanted to say that. So Alejandro, thank you for continuing to inspire. Thank you for joining in today and until next season, which, by the way, will be recorded on site in Con in MIPM. So stay tuned for that. Until next time, take care of yourself. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And remember, fortune favors the bold. Drum roll, please. P.S. If you want to find out about future-proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com. Making a high-quality podcast like this takes a lot of work. That's a fact. But not when you hire Copus. With our white glove experience, we handle everything for you. From guest outreach all the way through to publishing and promotion, we handle it all. You show up to hold great interviews and build relationships with your guests, and we take care of everything else. Podcasting is not just about the audience. Every podcast interview is the start of a new relationship. With a weekly podcast, you would build relationships with 52 ideal partners or prospects through your podcast interviews over the next 12 months. Do you believe that 52 new relationships would grow your business? We do. Contact Jason at copus, K-O-P-U-S dot com and let's talk.